0: listeners, I'm Joni B. Cole, host of Author Can I Ask You. For people like me who love books and the stories behind the books, this show gives me the chance to ask authors about what they write and why they write. Plus, I like to throw in a few odd questions just to get to know each author a little bit better as a person. Let's get started and meet today's guest. Today I welcome Edwin Hill, author of the Hester Thursby Crime Novels, best described as dark psychological thrillers. Edwin has been nominated for Edgar and Agatha Awards, received star reviews in Publisher's Weekly and Library Journal, and Mystery Scene Magazine recognized him as one of six crime writers to watch. Edwin's third and newest book is entitled Watch Her, and earned this shout-out from Kirkus Reviews complex characterization, and a masterly mystery make Watch Her a superior read. Hey, Edwin, thanks for being a guest on my podcast.
1: Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to this.
0: So Edwin, I've read all three books in your series, and Kirkus Reviews got it so right, especially the part about your complex characterization. I love Hester Thursby, who's this librarian at Harvard with a knack for finding people. She is so real and so relatable, but she's also one of a kind and has a lot of issues. So I was wondering, Edwin, did Hester come to you whole cloth or how did you piece together her traits that made up her character?
1: Oh, gosh. You know, I came up with Hester in such a roundabout way. And um, anyone who's written a first book knows that you can sit with it for a very long time. You can sit with it for as long as you need to because nobody's waiting for it. And when I first started drafting it, she wasn't a character in the novel. Um, it was about two other characters. One of them is named Sam Blaine and another is named Gabe DiPersio. And they're sort of antiheroes. But as I kept drafting, I realized that I actually wanted a more traditional protagonist in the story. I wanted someone who we could really root for. And so um, I hate to tell you, but this was my whole thought process behind coming up with Hester (laughs) as the main character. I'd already drafted a lot of the novel with Gabe and Sam as main characters, and I didn't want to write a novel about three guys. And so I was like, I'll just come up with a third character and make her a woman. And um, that's how Hester Thursby was born. So how did you go
0: about developing her character then?
1: There's a writing exercise that you go through called What If, which is basically exactly what it sounds like. You say, what if? And you just fill in the blank. And so for a while, she was going to run a bakery, and then for a long time, she was going to be a psychologist. But there are a lot of mysteries out there that have psychology at their center, and a lot of authors who already do that really well. And so one day I was walking through, I used to live over by the Harvard campus in Cambridge. Um, I was walking through campus, and all of a sudden, Widener Library rose up in front of me, and I thought, aha, uh, research librarian, that's an interesting career, and they know what to do with the information when they get that information. And so I decided to make her a librarian. I cannot
0: imagine the Hester Thursby mystery series without the inimitable Hester Thursby. You know, when I think about her, I think about that advice that writers are sometimes given, always give your character a funny hat, which of course isn't to be taken literally, but you do want to give your character something that makes her or him instantly identifiable every time they're on stage. And I wondered, is that partly why you made Hester so petite at four foot
1: nine? my first novel was going to be funnier than it wound up being. It's actually very dark. Um, but when it was still going to be funny, one of the jokes was that Hester was not very good at following people because she kind of stands out in a crowd. So I just, again, I went through the what if exercise and I kept asking what, what could make her stand out in a crowd? She could be very short. She could have purple hair. And finally, I decided to make her very small so that she'd be very memorable when she was trying to find someone.
0: Well, she is small but mighty. You know, another trait that stands out about Hester is how much sugar she downs. (laughs) How in the heck does she pull that off and still stay so trim and tiny?
1: Oh, my God. I want to live vicariously through her. She puts six sugars into her coffee, but she also loves French fries and ribbons and stuff like that.
0: Yeah, that's part of the fun, I guess, of being an author is your characters can do things you can't get away with sometimes. But Yeah, I was going into like sugar coma every time she has a cup of coffee.
1: She likes to drink too.
0: (laughs) Well, another one of Hester's notable traits is her secrecy. And it's interesting, it's not until book three that she reluctantly shares even the most basic facts about her life with her partner, Morgan, whom she
1: prefers to call her non-husband.
0: Edwin, would you talk a little bit about Hester's penchant
1: for secrets? I love the idea of Hester's always finding secrets about other people in the whole series is about her finding secrets about other people. And so I liked this idea of her holding back information about herself. She was sort of subjecting herself to the same scrutiny that she was subjecting the people that she's looking for in the novels. It's a very good rule of thumb for anyone who's trying to write a series. And that's to look at your series in books of three and try and give your recurring characters a character arc over the three book series. This secrecy was one of Hester's character arcs throughout these first three books. And I wanted her to be trying to solve that, um, even if she doesn't actually know that she's trying to solve it. Well, one of the people that Hester keeps secrets from is her partner,
0: Morgan. And he's a veterinarian with a proclivity to bring home strays. I thought it was actually tender in your acknowledgments in the third book, Watch Her, that you say... I wrote this as a love letter to the kind and compassionate Morgan McGuire. I hope he gets his due. I just wanted to know what was the backstory or sentiment behind that acknowledgement?
1: You know, it's, it's twofold. I put him through the ringer in the second book. Um, so Hester goes through a lot in the first book. It's a very traumatic experience in the first book. And the second book is somewhat a reaction to what she goes through in that first book. Um, she retreats into herself. She becomes very testy, and she really tests her bond with Morgan in that story. And I wanted to acknowledge that I put him through that, um, and that, um, that she had put him through that, and that he chose to stick it out with this woman who can be sort of annoying and can lie, <laughs> lie to him sometimes. I hope that the third book gives him his due. Um, you know, I have a partner named Michael who puts up with me being a full-time writer, which is, um, you know... Anyone who lives with a full-time writer knows writers live in their head a lot of the time. You have to meet deadlines and it can be very challenging when you're meeting deadlines. I mean, everyone has a job and this is my job. You know, the months before a deadline can be very challenging. So I I wanted to acknowledge that as well.
0: Yeah, I saw right after you acknowledge Hester's partner, Morgan, then you follow up by dedicating the book to your own partner, Michael. So it was (laughs) lovely that you thanked them both for their patience. I want to switch gears now and ask you about another theme in the books. Motherhood. You know, Hester never wanted kids. She's in her mid-30s, mid to late 30s. And yet circumstances put her in this position where she becomes this fiercely loving surrogate mom to her little niece, Kate. And then in other books in the series as well, there's these prominent mother-daughter relationships, and some of them are healthy and (laughs) some of them are very warped. But I wonder, did you purposely set out to incorporate these complicated mom-daughter issues in your stories, or did they just emerge as you were
1: plotting? I have to confess, I didn't see the theme of mothers and daughters in this third book until someone pointed it out to me um, after it had published. But then (laughs) once I saw it, I was like, oh, of course it's there. I mean, that's what happens when you're writing, though. Sometimes you see your themes and sometimes you don't.
0: Yeah. Every time that Hester would bring Kate along in book one, when she was watching someone or, you know, sleuthing, I'd be like, no, no, get a babysitter.
1: <laughs> I did that on purpose. I mean, again, Hester has just had this kid come into her life. And she is someone who is very used to doing whatever she wants to do. And she makes some big mistakes.
0: Well, secrets, lies, mistakes. That's the stuff of good fiction, right? Yep. <laughs> I want to ask you a question related to craft Edwin. In your books, you tell the stories through multiple perspectives. That's an interesting approach. Why do you share your stories through so many lenses?
1: I like to present the story through different points of view so that the reader is experiencing different pieces of the story. And then the mystery of the story comes together as each of the point of view characters chooses to reveal certain parts of the information. What I really like about these books is that the first one has five points of view, but the other two have four points of view. And I always say the reader is the fifth point of view character, because at the end of the novel, if I've done my job right, the only person who actually knows everything that happened in the story is the reader. Even Hester doesn't always know all of the mysteries. All of the mysteries aren't solved for Hester at the end of the story, whereas they are for the reader. What's interesting for me is seeing how those pieces fall together. There's this moment, it happens late in the writing process, where all of a sudden, the whole thing falls into place for me. And I suddenly see where every piece fits, who knows what, where information should be revealed, where I should be holding information back. And it's this really wonderful, magical moment. And from that moment on is when I really start enjoying myself as a writer. It's where I can really work on my craft. I can really work on the themes of the novel. It's where I can start bringing out some of the humor and some of the good lines in the novel. And uh, until I get there, it can be kind of a slug.
0: (laughs) That's a very good writing day when you hit that point in the drafting process. Yeah. Edwin, I'm excited to see that you have a new book coming out in April entitled The Secrets We Share. So, of course, more secrets. But my understanding is this is a standalone book. And I wondered if you could talk a little bit about the challenges or the art of writing a standalone versus a series?
1: Sure. You know, I think it's really hard to keep a series going to keep characters really interesting. You have to put them through something. You have to create a world where they can grow as characters and where they can change as characters. And, you know, if you do that well enough, I think that they do sit with you and they sort of become living creatures. And one of the things that is really exciting about a standalone novel is you can do anything anyone can be bad, anyone can be good, you can kill off anyone you want to, which is great in a mystery. Um, and you're not beholden to your readers. I mean, like, Hester can't be killed off at this point. Uh, neither can Morgan. And you know, neither can Kate. No,
0: they can't. Yeah.
1: And so you know, I'm not stuck. But those characters, they can't do anything besides appear from book to book, which is really exciting. But if I want to be able to do whatever I want creatively, it's really fun to jump into a standalone work basically, you can you can make any decision you want to make.
0: You've earned a ton of well-deserved accolades as a successful author, but I wondered if you would rewind a little bit. And when you revisit your trajectory as a writer, were there any particular
1: low points? Oh my goodness. Gosh, there were tons of them. I went to Emerson for my MFA at the beginning of the 2000s. And I wrote a novel when I was there and I graduated. And I got an agent, a very fancy agent in New York. It was very exciting. And I thought I had arrived. Um, and so we shopped that novel all around New York in about maybe 2002, 2003. And it got rejected everywhere. And it was super discouraging. And I actually gave up on writing for almost a decade after that. What did bring you back to writing? There are a couple of factors in why I picked up writing again. But the real reason I picked it up again is that I happened to negotiate a month off between two jobs. So I ended one job and I started a new job. I had a month off. So I decided I would start try to write a novel again. And that novel turned out to be Little Comfort. And there was all sorts of self-doubt during that process. (laughs) Um, And I didn't sell it until 2016. So it took me six years to write it and sell it.
0: How did you keep going? Did you seek feedback? Were you in a writing group?
1: I sought some uh, feedback, but I actually did a lot on my own. I would counsel anyone who was in my situation to to get more feedback and to create more of a community than I did. I had a very demanding job at the time. I was the vice president editorial director at Macmillan Higher Ed. Mm. That job entailed a lot of travel. I was on the road many weeks out of the year. And so when I wasn't traveling, I mostly wanted to hang out with my friends. So I would write on the weekends, I'd write in the morning, and I would travel for work and hang out with my friends. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's a great formula for getting a book, actually. And it gives you both
0: balance and perspective. Yes. Well, Edwin, clearly now you can forget about those poor salad days and your books have earned a ton of terrific reviews. But I thought it was funny that you wrote in your author bio that your favorite reviewer is your yellow lab, Edith Ann, who, quote, likes your first drafts enough to eat them. (laughs) So could you please tell me that that didn't really happen?
1: It didn't really happen. But (laughs) I think a lot of us, especially after this pandemic, we have really come to appreciate our pets even more. And I always appreciated Edith Ann. But boy, has it been nice to have someone, a creature hanging around with me this last year and keeping me keeping me on track. Yeah.
0: Well, pets serve as characters in the Hester Thursby novels as well, including an iguana. So, (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
1: I may have overdone it. My last book, uh, Watcher, had six named animals, including the iguana, Ian. Yeah. And those things are big,
0: man. (laughs) (laughs) What do you think is the most exciting thing that's happened in
1: your writing career to date? Oh, my gosh. You know, I think the most exciting thing ever is when and it happens over and over again. And that that's what's exciting about it. It's anytime someone discovers my book um, and says, oh, I liked this. You know, I wrote this book, uh, you know, for a long time, I didn't think it would get published. And then it got published and I would have been grateful if like five people had read it. And now enough people have read the books and people have heard about them and working on another one. And it's just such a reward to hear that, you know, you you gave someone some joy in their life and that they enjoyed this story that you created. mm mm-hmm. Well, I,
0: for one, am so glad that I discovered your work.
1: Oh, thank you.
0: (laughs) And now I want you to get to work on the next one. So one last question, Edwin. If you were to write a six-word memoir, what would it be?
1: I think, because I always set out to do this and never quite succeed, um, I think it would be something along the lines of, he promised he'd write a novel with a single POV. What is the resistance to a single point of view? Uh, I think it's that puzzle. I love how people look at the same situation and see different things in it. Um, And I love the idea of secrets. I love how people keep secrets from each other and uh, reveal certain parts of secrets and how those can all come together to form a story.
0: Well, you can work on that promise. But on the other hand, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And your multiple
1: perspectives
0: are working just fine in your mysteries. Thank you. I want to say thank you, Edwin, to being my guest and and being so generous in your thoughts about your process and talking about your book. So I really appreciate this time you've given me.
1: Oh, thank you, Joni. It was really a pleasure to be here.
0: Listeners, if you would like to learn more about Edwin Hill, his mystery series, or his forthcoming book, The Secrets We Share, be sure to visit his website, edwin-hill.com. So that's it for this episode of Author, Can I Ask You? Thanks, everybody, for listening. And if you like what you heard, please spread the word and visit me on my website, jonivcole.com. In the meantime, take care, act civil, and don't be afraid to ask the odd questions.